check this number out. Two trillion dollars. That's not the national debt. That's the amount of consumer debt that, that, uh, that the average, that all of us together here in America ha- have accumulated. That means the average person is carrying um, $8,000 in credit card debt. Forty-three percent of families are actually spending more than they earn. Listen, this person that I talked to, this couple, they are not the only ones with a problem. Right now, 76% of college students, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, who haven't even begun in in the workforce yet, are $2,200 in debt, and that's as of a few years ago. Over 60% of those who have credit cards don't pay off the balance at every month. The average credit card interest rate in America is 13.54%. Houston, we have a problem, right? And oh, by the way, don't let, don't don't think because this might sometimes is what we think. Oh, I know we got. See, if I just made more money, that would solve the problem. That's what we think. Let me tell you a little story. Have you heard of a guy named Nicolas Cage? Right? He's made some good movies. He's also made some duds, namely a movie called Ghost Rider. But anyway, that's another sermon. Um, but here's what happens: is that Nicolas Cage is filing for bankruptcy. You know, he makes thirty million dollars a year. How could he possibly file for bankruptcy? I mean, $30 million isn't going to take you as far as it used to. Um, and you're like, how? He's filing for bankruptcy? Yeah, because he just can't seem to make it work with $30 million a year. Uh, Mike Tyson, the boxer, made over $300 million in his boxing career. It now is, in, is, is financially destitute and is actually negative $32 million um, as far as like assets and, and it's is filed for bankruptcy. You say, how is that humanly possible? See, the issue is not income. Let me give you a more list of people you might know. Kim Basinger, Don Johnson, right? Sonny Crockett himself, um, you know, Jose Canseco, Stephen Baldwin, if you're a fan of the 86 Mets, uh, Lenny Dykstra, and Vince Neal, the singer of Motley Crue, all in the last few years filed for bankruptcy. Motley Crue sold over 45 million records. And somehow, still can't manage to keep the lights on in his house. Like, how is that humanly possible? Why? Because, it, listen, the, it, the, the myth of, if I just made more, that would solve the problem, that doesn't solve the problem, because there's people that are making a lot more, and they can't keep the lights on either. So what's the deal? The deal is, we haven't really gotten a hold of, of, of this beast called money. You see, you say, hold on, I, someone just said that we're doing a series on marriage. What's this? Why are we talking then about debt and money and all that stuff? Listen, you're probably aware of this, that of the three major reasons that couples get divorced, the, the, they talk, there's three reasons. Sex is one, communication is the other, and money is the third. We talked about romance and sex last week, two weeks before that. We talked about communication, and we're closing our series to talk about this idea of money. Because listen, guys, this till death do us part has turned into till debt do us part. And there's a lot of couples that aren't making it. And the deal is this. God has a lot to say on the subject. I don't know if you're aware, but there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money. Jesus actually had more to say about money than he had to say about heaven and hell combined. So listen, the, the, the thing is serious. Jesus would say these words. It's in the notes that we gave you. If you have them, grab them, grab your pen. You're going to need to write a bunch of stuff. But here's the thing that Jesus said. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, here's what happens in church. 
What happens in church, and, and I'll be honest, as, as pastors and teachers, sometimes we're guilty of this, is that you'll come into a church environment and we'll talk about the first 10%, the tithe. And we'll talk about how Christians need to be tithing and giving to their local churches. That's what the Bible teaches, and that's true. But here's what we'll do, is that we'll neglect teaching you about what should happen with the other 90%. And that God is just as interested as the other 90 as He is in the 10 Because, listen, you can tithe and God will bless you because that's what the Bible teaches. But if we don't manage the blessing properly, here's what will happen. We'll find ourselves in the same place that these people that make tons and tons of money, they're now in the place of financial ruin. And you'll get to a place not happily ever after, but a place where we're saying, no, the relationship is going to end now because we never got on the same page. We were never able to figure out this financial problem. And now the relationship is coming to an end. And the thing that should have been a blessing turned out not to be. And that's why we've got to have a new understanding of what it means to, to, to steward the, the resources that God has entrusted to us because the Bible never talks to us about being owners. We're not owners. The Bible says you brought nothing into this world, you're taking nothing out of it. But instead, here's what we are. The Bible calls us stewards. It calls us, in another way, it calls us money managers. That all of it belongs to God. The account may have your name on it, but it actually all belongs to Him. And that there's a way that he wants us to steward it. And it's not because, um, you know, God is trying to get it all from us. No, instead, God wants us to steward it well, not become attached to it, because that's where relationships break down. So when we learn to do it his way, here's what happens. We, we're set free. What happens is we're not bogged down. Instead, we're able to now have the relationship that, with each other that we were supposed to have and a marriage that lasts a lifetime. And so here's what we're going to do in the time that we have together is that we're going to turn to the book of Acts chapter 5. If you have your Bible, turn there if you would. And I'm going to read you a story that you're going to look on and say, that must have been the most bizarre church service ever. And say, you know, this is like a weird, this is one of those services that I'm glad I wasn't there for that one because this one, is, this is a little odd. But I'm going to tell you that um, what we're going to do as we go through this is we're going to ask ourselves four questions. Four financial questions that I believe if you'll, you and your spouse take the time to answer, it could potentially save your marriage. We're going to start in chapter 5 of Acts in verse 1. It says, Now a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the disciples at the apostles' feet. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first question that we need to ask. If we're going to talk about the whole 100% of everything God's given to us, and we want to answer the questions that are going to, that could save our marriage, here's what we need to do. We have to answer the first question, and that is, where is God in my finances? Where, where is God in my finances? You see, all of us want the blessing of God in our finances. But if we do, we've got to invite God to be part of our finances and that we and then we honor him with our finances. And that means beginning that the first thing that we do, first things first is give God his part. So the Bible calls tithing. Now here's the question if if, if you've been around church for a while or maybe you've been around here for a few weeks or a few months and you say, I've heard that word thrown around, why would God even require a tenth? Like what's what, what's so magical about that number? What's the point of him why why would God even want that? Now, here's the thing that we have to understand is that the Bible tells us this in Deuteronomy chapter 14. It's in the notes that we gave you. He says this. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. What that means is this, is that tithing is not about money to God, but instead it's what the, the resources that we give represent. 
Because here's what we have to understand. Contrary to what the TV preachers may say, do you know God isn't broke? Do you know heaven is not in foreclosure? There's no sign out in the front with, with a, you know, with the professional glamour shots picture of a realtor saying, hey, I, got, I can get you a great deal on heaven. It's, it's, it's bargain prices right now. Uh, I can give you the glory of heaven for hell prices. I mean, it's, it's rock bottom. Um, and uh, I don't know where that comes from. Um, and, but here's the thing. Here's you got to understand. So if God isn't broke and heaven isn't in foreclosure, then why does God want us to give? It's because what we spend our money on reveals our values. It reveals what we believe is important to us. And amazingly, here's what happens. If when we decide to give to God the part that's His, we give away a little bit of selfishness, we give away a little bit of our greed, and here's what we gain in return. We gain the heart of God. You know what I find amazing? You ever talk to someone who's begun to invest in the stock market, begun to invest in his retirement? You know what you find? Is this, once they begin to invest and put their money in a particular stock, they start talking about the stock more. They start talking about the company more. They start adding it in conversation where it doesn't even matter. Like you're eating a Chick-fil-A sandwich, and they're like, have you seen how Verizon is doing? Like, I'm eating a chicken sandwich. Yes, but that reminds me about how my stocks are doing. And uh, why? Because it's just always on your mind. And now, what you never, you may have, you know, the Dow, the NASDAQ, you may have even not known what those are. But now, you've got an app on your iPhone, and you're seeing where the stocks are. You've got all your stocks programmed in. Why? Here's the thing. It's what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the whole thing. You know what happens when I invest in eternity? Is that I have eternity on my mind. When I start investing in the things of the kingdom of God, I've got the things of God and the kingdom of God on my mind. Same thing happens to me. Same thing happens to you. Same thing happens to us. Now, what's amazing to me is that when we give, God decides. He said he blesses us for giving. You know, the truth is he doesn't have to. He could just say, this is what I require, and that's just the end of it. But instead, here's what he does. He says, when you obey me, now I'm going to bless you in, a, in ways that you completely couldn't even imagine. Uh, I've referenced this verse many times over the years. If you've been here for a while, you've heard me talk about it. You're going to hear it one more time. Here's what he says in the book of Malachi chapter 3. He says, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple." If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. What is God saying? Think about it. Throughout the Bible, God says, don't tempt or test the Lord your God except for this one area of financial giving. Now, why is that? is because this is usually, in the life of a Christian, like the last area that they really turn over and give to God. And so God says, listen, if, if, if this is a struggle, then why don't you test me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and bless you. You see, I, I want you to notice the, the thing that, that's so important. This is one of the things that we do around here in your connection card. If you turn it over, you'll see that it says, take the 90-day tithe challenge. Now, let me tell you why we do that. It's because it's an opportunity for you to test God in this area of your life. It's an opportunity for you to now say, God, here's what I'm going to do. For these 90 days, I'm going to give you the full tithe, and then I'm going to wait and see if you're really going to open the windows of heaven and, and, and bless me the way that you said you would. Let me read you a story that I, uh, I, got, I got this email last night. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> Dear Pastor Bob, I write you today to share my testimony about my business. 
About a year and a half ago, due to the economy, I was laid off from my old job. Shortly after that, I decided to branch off into my, on my own and start my own business. Like any small business that started slow, with a very small amount of clientele, I was a faithful tither back then, but the more my business grew, the more expenses I had and the less frequent I would tithe. It, became, it came to the point where I wasn't giving for months at a time. I, and I was truly ashamed knowing, even though you had uh, given messages on tithing and financial issues, I couldn't bring myself to do so. Uh, in result, my business began to suffer. I was barely breaking even on some occasions, uh, getting very few new clients and surviving off of petty sales. I would keep telling myself that all of this was due to, quote-unquote, my first year in business and, quote-unquote, things will get better, I just need to work harder. And it came to a point where I was thinking of closing down my business. A couple months back, the 90-day tithe challenge was presented, which was the first reason I tithed when I first began my walk with Christ. The same day I opened my Bible, landed on Exodus 22:29, which says, Do not hold back offerings of your granaries and your vats. I made up my mind and began to tithe again. Within a two-week span, my clientele tripled. So I kept tithing and, 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 and giving. My clientele and business kept growing. After five months, my clientele and sales have now grown over six times more than when I first began giving. And as of a month ago, I made my biggest sale of over $11,000. I can honestly say none of the above would have been possible without God. And I'm grateful that, faithful, that being faithful in giving and in tithing allows him to open up the windows of heaven in my life. He says, thank you, and then he signs his name. Now, here's the thing that's amazing about that. I have a file uh, in my office that is filled. I have a file on my computer that is filled with story after story after story after story after story of people who have said, I'm taking the challenge, and then here's what they do. They say, not only am I taking the 90-day challenge, I'm never going to stop. I'm going to continue to obey God because I see how God does the miraculous in my life. Because if you look at the verse in Malachi, there's this, there's this kind of duality that happens. He says, the whole nation is under a curse. Why? Because they were taking the 100% that had been entrusted to them and hoarding it for themselves. And instead, here's what God says. If you want to have the windows of heaven open in your life, here's what will happen. You give God the first part and He'll take the 90% and make it go a lot further than the 10% would than the 90% would. Because I'd rather have 90% blessed by God than 100% that's cursed by God. That just makes sense. Now here's the thing that's interesting and that's important. And so if you decide, hey, I want to do that, you check that off and we partner with you. And here's what we do. Uh, what we do is, um, I, I, I personally want to send you a book that really, really helped me. It's by a guy named Randy Alcorn. It's a book that's called The Treasure Principle. And that book, I, I read it years ago and it just made such a difference in my life, and I began to see giving in a totally new way. And so I want to do that to partner with you. And so here's what you do. You say, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give for the 90 days. We'll send you the book, but here's the promise that you make me. You promise to send me the story of when God does, when he opens the windows of heaven. Notice I did not say if God opens the windows of heaven, but when God opens the windows of heaven. Because the other thing is this, is that you're going to be more acute to seeing how is God going to do it? What's going to happen? And you're going to watch him do amazing things. Now, the couple in our story, what's their deal? They decided that they had sold a piece of property. And here's what they did. They decided, and they laid it some of it at the apostles' feet. But here's the deal. The thing that's important for us to note is that um, it's, the, the part of, it's not that they had to give all of it. They didn't. That was a decision that they made. But here was the deal. They kept part of it. 
And then they laid part of it at the apostles' feet. But here's what they said. The part that they laid at the apostles' feet, this is the whole thing. Now, why would they do that? Uh, it's another verse in your outline, and I'm just going to reference it quickly. In fact, let me just read it to you. It's on the second page in your outline. It's the verses just before where we started reading uh, in Acts chapter 5. These are the last few verses of Acts chapter 4. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and distributed it to anyone who had a need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought, it, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Right? The next verse that you'd read is what we read in chapter 5. And then there was this guy named Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a piece of property. They kept back part, but then they told everybody that that was the whole thing. What was the problem? The problem was hypocrisy. The problem was they were giving for the wrong motive. The problem was that they said it was all, but really was part because they wanted the praise of people thinking that they were righteous, that they were holy, that they were generous, and all of that stuff. And here was the problem. The problem was their motive for giving was bad. Their motive for giving was wrong because they wanted the praise of people rather than the approval of God. You see, the Bible tells us this. Uh, and It's there in your notes. And Jesus would say it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. He said, therefore, when you do a charitable, de- charitable deed, don't sound the trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. And he said that they may have their glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And he says, but when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And then your father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. You see, that's the right motivation. God wants Love to be our motivation for giving. See, the idea is this, is that when I really understand the gospel and that Jesus laid down his life for me and gave everything for me and did not hold back anything for me and for you and for us, my only natural response to that kind of love is to love in return. That's why the Bible says that God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son. And in return, when I, when I decide to take that first part and obey God, here's what takes place. Now, I'm simply, what might start as I'm doing it just to be obedient, here's where it moves. It starts from the place of obedience and it moves to the place of joy and generosity and cheerfulness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, the first step to make sure that finances don't ruin your marriage is to invite God into your financial world. Because to have Him stay out is putting a curse on your finances and is obviously going to lead to problems, difficulties, and pressure on your marriage that your marriage was never supposed to bear. But that's not the only question we need to answer. That's just the first question dealing with the first part. What's the second question we need to answer? Here's the, here it is for your outline. It says this, do I have a vision for my finances? That's the second one. Do I have a vision? Now look at what happens in verse 3. It says this. It says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit 
and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Now notice what he says in verse 4. While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your control? So why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. And so great fear fell upon those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him, carried him, and buried him. Do you have a vision for your finance? What do I mean by that? I mean, is that is there a place, is there an actual page? Say, well, we've got to get on the same page. Is there an actual page that you guys get on? You say, hey, we have a common goal when it comes to our finances. Now, let me give you an example of this um, in, in, in my own life. In 1995, 15 years ago, I bought the hottest new piece of technology, a thing called a LaserDisc player. How many of you have heard of a LaserDisc? Okay, great. About 30% of you. The rest of you weren't born then. So I'll, I'll fill you in. Um, now, let me just kind of give you an idea as to this brand new technology. This is my copy of Star Wars, by the way. And uh, this is the, comp- the disc that it came on. Now, here's the thing that's great about, about the laser disc is that um, you could, you, you'd, you'd put the disc in, right? This is like a CD that comes like, oh, this is out of the uh, Jolly Green Giants collection. Um, and so you put, you put the disc in, right? And you're like snuggling with the one you love. You've got the soda, the popcorn, and Twizzlers, whatever, and you're watching your movie. And now this is my copy of Star Wars. And so you get to like the, the part where they're getting to the cantina, you know, and he says, yeah, these, are dra- these aren't the drawers you're looking for. And then right after he says that, a turtle shows up. You say, that's not in Star Wars, a turtle? Trust me, I know. I can quote Star Wars and the Bible interchangeably. Um, all right? And I know them both just as well. Now, here's the deal. Is that I put... You, you, now, the turtle shows up, and here's what it is. It's a turtle on its shell. And then it says, to watch the rest of this movie, please turn me over. So now you got to get up. you got to put all your stuff down. you got to get up in the middle of this movie. It's dark. You stub your toe. But you get it out. You flip the disc over. Then you put it back in. Then you're watching. And now Luke Skywalker's about to blow up the Death Star and the turtle shows up. And he says, could you please flip me over to watch the rest of your movie? You've got to get up again. And then you've got to take the disc out. Now, here's the thing. Um, I bought, the, I couldn't, now, this was the hottest piece of technology. Because I'm a big fan of movies, I really wanted to have this LaserDisc because I want, that, plus, all the, like, the movies that came out on LaserDisc were all in letterbox. And uh, it was so exciting to be able to see, like, what you would see in the theaters. And so what happened was, is that I, I bought this laser displayer. I brought my friend with me, and using my powers of persuasion, I talked him into buying one too. Interestingly enough, 15 years later, he still hasn't forgiven me. Um, I gave him three words, get over it, but he, that he's not taking that for an answer. He wants reparations. And uh, every once in a while, he like faxes me his receipt for it, and he's like, pay up, uh, to which I laugh. Anyway, so he, um, so he said, I've, we've got all this, we buy it. Now, here was the problem. In 1995, at the end of 1995, uh, going into 1996, I was engaged. The problem is I did not tell my wife or my fiancé before I bought this LaserDisc player. She actually found out uh, later that evening through a friend. By the way, not a good thing. And, uh, you know, and so my, we were, and now the whole thing that we were saying was, is that we're not going to buy anything. We're saving up uh, to get married. We're paying off debt. We're doing all that stuff. And so the, our big thing was, we're not going to buy anything new. So here I show up with a brand new stereo and this laser displayer. And, uh, and so, you know, my wife and I don't fight, but we had a very intense fellowship that, that uh, evening. It was very, very intense. It was like, you know, UCF uh, intense or UFC, whatever it was. I guess... 
UCF would be, we had uh, the University of Central Florida with us uh, that evening. Now, here's the thing, and I'm telling you that I was so excited. I bought all three, uh, at the time, all three Star Wars movies, all three um, Indiana Jones movies, and I bought all my favorites. I bought Highlander, one of my favorite movies, Blade Runner, which is the best Harrison Ford movie where he's not playing either Han Solo or Indiana Jones. That's that's another sermon in and of itself, but I just had to throw it in there. Um, All these movies, Close Encounters, John Carpenter's The Thing, Escape from New York. I had all of my favorite movies. And then my friend, who I talked into buying it, about three weeks after buying all these movies and buying this stuff, he goes, do you know that I just read about this new technology that's coming out? So what do you mean? He says, I'm told they're going to put out movies that are the size of a compact disc. That they're going to be called DVDs, digital video disc. And do you know what my response to him was? I said, see, now you're just talking crazy. That's not what they're going to do. The laser disc is the future. It's the future of Frisbees, but it's not the future of, 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 of movies. And here's the thing. The problem was, and I keep this laser disc in my office because it's a reminder to me that, listen, that couples get sidetracked and derailed in marriage when they're not on the same page. The greatest gift that you can give to your marriage is the gift of clarity. That you guys both know where it is you're going in every aspect of your relationship, and especially when it comes to your finances. And that's the thing that happened with Ananias. They had a bad plan, and the bad plan literally killed them. And that's the thing that happens. Marriages get wiped out because there's a bad plan. There's There's no real vision as to where it is that we're going. And here's the thing that happens, because if you don't have a clear thing and you're not on the same page as to where we're supposed to be in our relationship, here's what takes place. Well, one says we're going to get out of debt, so we're not going to use the credit cards. The other says, well, it's okay if I use the credit cards as long as we pay it off. And so now, well, which are we doing? Well, so are we using the credit cards or are we not? Are we spending this or are we not? I mean, because you've got to ask the question, uh, do we have a vision for our, our, our finances and our financial future? But you've got to get on the same page. You've got to ask, what is acceptable debt? Is only a mortgage acceptable debt? Is a car payment acceptable debt? Is charging stuff on the credit card and then paying it off, is, is that acceptable debt? I mean, you, you, you've got to figure it out. You know, and so it, do, you have, uh, do we have a savings plan? Now, let me just tell you this. You're not going to call your friends after you and your spouse talk and say, we had the most riveting conversation about our savings plan. Trust me, there's going to be better conversations that you have. But if you don't have that conversation, you're going to have a very explosive conversation and fight about not having a savings plan. And that's the thing that you've got to do. You've got to give yourselves the gift of getting on the same page. If not, you're going to assume that the other person is going to do what you're going to do. And listen, that's not the case. They're going to assume what what they think you're going to do. And what's going to happen is it's going to cause problems. And listen, that start there and eventually lead to marriages coming to an end. Here's what it takes to get on the same page, to have a vision for your finances. It takes getting on a budget. You as both putting together a budget and saying, this is what we're going to do. This is what we are agreeing to. On the back of your connection card, here's what it says. One of the, the next steps for you is get on a budget. Now, let me tell you why we, we say that. Is because what I want to do is if you check that off and you make sure you have your email address on the front, um, we will email you this week the budget sheet, the Excel spreadsheet that I personally use. I've been using this Excel spreadsheet for I don't know, more than, uh, th- well, since we've been married. So more than 13 years now. And here's the thing. I mean, this is like clockwork. Every uh, Thanksgiving weekend, I put together the budget for the next year. July 4th weekend, I go over the budget again to make sure there's no new items or 
stuff has gone up or whatever the case, and we do that. And, and what you do is when you put these, um, this budget together, listen, a lot of times we have goals, and then we say, well, we'll figure out our goals. Listen, your budget is your goals in dollar form. And so that's what you want to do is to get on the page where you say, this is what we're going to do, this is what we have agreed on, and now you're, you're on the same page. Listen, so if you want to get out of debt, how aggressive are you going to be? How are you going to do that? Oh, we're going to pay 500 extra bucks a month. Okay, where's that coming from? Oh, see, we're going to cut this and we're going to limit that, and that's how that's going to go. All right, but listen, both of you have got to be on the same page for that to happen. The Bible says this, it's in your notes. It says, just as the rich rule over the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. And listen, when my wife and I got married, we read this. Someone gave us as a wedding gift this amazing book. It was called The Complete Financial Guide for Young Couples by a guy named Larry Burkett. Now, Larry has gone to be with the Lord since, um, since after, after he wrote the book. But here's the thing. The book taught us uh, some of what I'm sharing with you this morning. It taught us how to get on a budget. It taught us how to, um, you know, kind of like snowball your, your way out of debt and how to pay off the smallest card first, and then you take that minimum of that plus what you're paying and put it into the next one and, do, and doing all of that. And so it taught us how to do that. And here's what happened is that you say, well, man, things were real tight when you guys were started. I'll talk about that in a minute. But you know what we found is that we didn't fight about money, my wife and I. And here's why is because we were on the same page. And that's the thing. You don't have to have tons and tons of money to not fight. Instead, that just sometimes can just exacerbate the problem. The issue is getting on the same page so that you have a plan to becoming financially free. Now, here's what happens in the story. Look at verse 7. And this is an important one. Look at what happens. It says, Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said, Tell me uh, whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Now, Look at the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in, found her dead, carrying her out, and buried her by her husband. That's why I'm telling you this is one church service you did not want to be part of. Like, you know, like we have this service. How many of you were here at the, the Easter that involved the Easter squirrel? Do you remember that? Several of you? Okay. Now, for those of you that don't know, let me tell you the story of the Easter squirrel. The Easter squirrel is a squirrel that gave its life to mess up our Easter service two years ago. This, e this squirrel, and I'm telling you, it's a true story. Ask anyone who raised their hand. They were there. We were meeting in the movie theater down the street. We were doing three services in that theater. And, uh, and here's the thing. That, th there was a squirrel that bit into one of the power lines right in front of the movie theater. And it obviously got electrocuted. And it knocked out power for an entire block in our city. And here's the thing that was amazing. The Easter squirrel is dead. I have a picture of the dead Easter squirrel because that's just some of the weird things I do, is take pictures of dead squirrels. At least the Easter squirrel, because I wanted to know why is it we had no AC and no lights. Um, so all we had was the emergency lighting. None of our lighting and stuff was working. And it was also 150 degrees in there uh, on Easter. And, so, and that was a, a service where you're like, eh, the Easter squirrel, that's funny. This is a service you didn't want to be part of. Yeah, remember that service? Yeah, remember that service that that couple dropped dead during the offering? What was up with that? Trust me, that's a service you're never going to forget. They said, what was the message? I don't know, but I remember when that happened. That was messed up. Um, and here's the thing. And so, so, here, so here's the question. This is, a, this is the question. This is question number three. Am I willing to face reality? Am I willing to face reality? Here's what I mean. You've got to face reality financially. 
if you want to, you got to know where you're starting from. Here's what I mean. My wife bought this new scale at our house. Now, you look at me and you say, that guy doesn't look like he's much of a fan of scales, which I'm not. And, uh, and here's what happens, is that she buys this new scale, and this scale is like so sophisticated. It will tell you everything about your life. It's like, oh, it'll tell you this, it'll tell you how much muscle, how much fat, it'll tell you how much water you have, it'll tell you what your IQ is, it'll tell you what your favorite color is. I mean, it tells you everything. It's like part scale, part magic eight ball, all right? So this thing is, it's crazy how much it knows. And then, but it also tells you how old you are. Like, you put in how old you are, but that, it doesn't even take that into consideration. It tells you how old your body is, based on how much you've been using and or abusing it. And so now, and so it measures all these things and tells you how old you are. So she says, you should step on the scale. And I'm like, no, thank you. And she says, no, you really should. And I said, I'd rather not. She said, well, why not? I said, because I don't think I'm going to like the answer it's going to give me. So I'd rather not make myself mad. And this is how I stay happily married. I just stay away from things that make me mad. And, uh, and so she says, well, you should. Well, finally, she wears me down and I finally step on the scale. And uh, in the scale, you know, you've got to like hold this thing and it's got this like, Anyway, it's like this crazy thing with like electrodes and it does all this stuff. Well, anyway, it comes out and it tells me that I'm 70 years old. And I get so mad and I'm like, you see, this thing is a piece of junk. I can't believe you spent money on this thing. And she's like, Robert, this is good stuff. And I'm like, this is a piece of junk. She's like, why is it a piece of junk? I said, because it's telling me things I don't want to hear. And she's like, well, why is that bad? I said, because I'm a senior citizen and I'm set in my ways. That's why. And... And I'm telling you, now, here's the thing, is that I didn't want to hear it. I finally heard it, and it was like, well, what are you going to do? And that, then, so her and I have this conversation, and, this, and facing reality makes me, makes me, like, change my ways, right? Because now, this is about two weeks ago, my goal in life now is to get my age down to my age. So every day I'm stepping on that stupid scale. It's now become part of my life. If you're like, I wonder what Pastor Bob is doing right now. He's thinking about how to get the, the age down. And it's either he's like he's, go, he's going to the gym in the morning because he's determined to get. The, I don't even care what the other numbers say. I really don't like, you know, because there's all these buttons. I don't even press the other buttons. I just press where it says body age. That's all I press, which, by the way, in the last two weeks, I've been able to get it down three years, which means. Yeah, thank you. I'm still retired, but I'm working my way there. So I've also, according to this, I've also registered with the AARP, the American Association of Retired People. So. Because my, my thing is, it's like, I've got to get younger than my parents. Because that's like one of my goals. And, uh, and, and, and so now, now the whole deal is this. Facing that reality, like I could have just said, no, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. Now here's the thing that happens. Sapphira walks into this meeting. Her husband's already dropped dead because he's lying, right? And, you know, God does this thing. And so Peter then gives her the opportunity to tell the truth and face reality. She decides to lie. She drops dead. Now here's the thing that we have to understand. Is if we're, if, if we're going to finish and have a happily ever after marriage, we've got to face reality. Here's what that means. When my wife and I first got married 13 years ago, uh, both of us were bringing debt into our marriage. Something I don't recommend, but it's, what, it's the truth. But here's the thing. Um, one of the things that that book that we read, it told us, it says you've got to add it all up. You've got to basically step on the scale. And I'm telling you, I do not want to. Because I'm like, well, can't we just ballpark it? Can't we just write like a lot? Like, that sounds good, a lot, and then it'll be like less, minus, a little less, equals zero. You know, and it's like, no, you can't do it. You've got to add it all up. And I had to add it all up, and I'm telling you, it was like someone had beaten me with a stick when I got that number. Because I was like, oh, I can't believe this. And I, but here's what happened. 
is that when you get the number and you face it, now it's like you're going to do something about it. You start putting a plan in place, and then that number gets a little less and a little less and a little less and a little less. Next thing you know, you know what happens? That number eventually goes down, eventually gets down to zero. And you know what? That's called freedom. Listen, here's what, here's what the Bible says. It says, By wisdom a house is built, through understanding it's established, through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful things. Listen, if you want to build a future with your spouse, you've got to know how much of the past you need to pay off. Now let me just share this with you. On the back of your connection card, it says this. It says, Attend the financial seminar on May 1st. Now let me tell you why that's so important. Is because here's the truth with most of us. Most of us were not taught any real financial principles by our parents. So we didn't learn anything at home. Most of us went through 12 years of school. We didn't learn anything about, uh, about money and money management in school. We learned about geometry because you're going to do a lot with shapes uh, after like the third grade, you know, with shapes. So you learned a lot about that. Uh, and then you learned a lot about algebra because, you know, 2x minus y equals 3 or something, whatever that is, because you use that all the time. And then, so you got all of that, right? And, but nobody taught us anything about... Now, listen, a lot of us are college graduates, and we never had one class, one minute talk to us about how to use money in the real world. And that's one of the reasons why we are so committed to giving financial education in this church. Now, before you think, like, oh, I get it, this is going to be like a whole thing about like giving and all that. Listen, giving is one part. That's what we talked about in the beginning. Getting on a budget is one part. Saving is one part. But listen, if you're married and you have kids or you want to have kids and you say, I don't want them to start out the way I did in debt. I don't want them to like go to college and now have like twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars in student loans. Then listen, the time to prepare for that is now. If you say, I'm going to ret- I want to retire and I don't want to be a burden on my kids. Listen, the time to prepare for that is now. The ta- the, and, and this is the thing, because here's the deal about money. Money management is 20 percent education, 80 percent behavior. And that's the thing. But we've got to get the education to then alter our behavior in a way that honors God and makes sense for our future. Look at verse 11. This is where we bring it to a close. So all this happens, and then it says this, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. This is the last one. Am I willing to pay the price? Am I willing to pay the price? Listen, if, if you're someone who's in debt and you want to be free, listen, there, there's help available. There's education that's available, but there is a price to be paid. And a lot of people don't want to pay the price because, like I said, there's, it's 20% education but 80% behavior. It's going to take self-control. It's going to take redirecting funds that normally we use to have fun and, and do, to do something else to pay off the past because we want to be free. I told you when my wife and I first got married that we, were, uh, that we had debt. We had credit card debt we had taken into our marriage. And we decided that one of our main goals in, in, in getting married in the first three years of our marriage was we wanted to become totally free from all of that and basically get back to zero. And here's what happened. is that So when we decided we didn't buy a house when we got married, instead we rented the smallest apartment that you could possibly imagine. Now, I actually was going through some papers the other day, and I found the floor plan for the apartment that we rented. This apartment was so small, you could sit on your bed in the bedroom and still fry an egg in the kitchen. I mean, it was incredible how small it was. There, I mean, it was crazy how small it was. And here's the thing. But here's what we did. We got that little apartment. We didn't have cable. In fact, for part of it, we didn't have TV. We still had the laser disc player, but that was it. Then we got the TV and we were able to still, you know, watch the movies, get the turtle and all that. But here's the thing that was, that was amazing. And also, some of you have heard this story, some of you haven't. 
We budgeted $35 a month for groceries. Now, I want you to think about that. Because some of us are going to go out to lunch later, and you might spend 35 bucks on lunch or dinner tonight. We spent 35 bucks a month on groceries. And I, some of you think, like, you know, oh, is that back when, like, milk used to cost a nickel and all that? Like, listen, I'm 36, not 136, okay? Uh, even the, I, I know the scale said something else, but that's, that's my body. is not my real age, all right? I was born in 1973. But here's the thing, and this, this is the thing that's amazing. In all of that, my, one of the things that my wife and I were committed to, we never stopped giving. We were committed to tithing, first and foremost, and giving God what was, what was rightfully His, and to do it with joy. And you know what happened? And then we were committed to getting out of debt, and we said, listen, if we have to take money out of our grocery bill, we're going to do it so that, we can, so that we can get financially free. And here's what happened. What happened was, is that it wasn't, you say, well, how in the world did that work? It worked, because God did the miraculous in our lives. And what we found was not three years, but two and a half years later, we signed the last check to get all of our credit cards down to zero. And this is the thing. This is the part that's amazing. We hadn't actually built anything yet. All we had done is just pay off the past. And listen, that's a foundation that you can work on. And this is the thing. And it's like there wasn't a lot of arguments. There wasn't a lot of fights about money. Why? Because we had decided in advance. We were on the same page. Because, listen, and this is why it's so important to get on the same page, because your spending reveals your values. And that's the thing that's so important. Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 6, and you can read it, but he said this. He says, don't be worried about all this other stuff, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, what you're going to, all this stuff. Don't worry about that. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Because here's the thing that's so important, is that our attitude towards money, And what we do with money is a statement of our faith. It tells us who it is that we trust in. Listen, in that last verse that we read, it says, Great fear came upon all the church. In that Acts verse, when people were giving freely and and, and the giving was done out of cheerfulness and out of joy, it says that great grace was upon them. And listen, my friends, that is my desire and hope for you, is that as we honor the Lord with our giving, as we have a vision together and we're on the same page in our finances, if we're willing to face reality and pay the price, here's what I know to be true, is that great grace will be upon us. That God will do the miraculous in our lives and provide for us in ways that we could never even imagine. Because that's what He does. And allow us to have a marriage and have a relationship that ends happily ever after.